Welcome to the Mapped Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number five, which happens to be the second episode in our three-part Money and Marriage mini-series. And this episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money Minute, which is a daily podcast where we share very quick money tips. So if you're interested in some daily money tips from yours truly, be sure to check out the Mapped Out Money Minute podcast. Last week, we talked about our honeymoon. And if you listen to it, it's probably not a surprise that that was kind of a more difficult episode to record just because it can kind of be embarrassing. Yeah, it's a tough story to tell sometimes. Yeah. I think it it shows the worst in both of us a little bit. It does. It shows the worst in both of us, I think. It also uh, is just stressful to get through in some ways. And feel like, how can we tell this in a way that is honest and truthful, but also doesn't complain or embellish or anything like that? And in a way that's productive. Yes, in a way that's productive and helpful. Like, it's not a story just for the sake of it. We're trying to, you know, help someone actually learn from it like like we have. But the other thing that I want to point out there is... It's so much easier to look back on experiences like that and figure out how they've helped us in our our journey, especially like our money journey. Um, but in the moment, we didn't see any of that. So, no. you know, as you're going through things, it's much easier to look back and connect the dots. Totally. So this week, we want to build on the conversation from last week where we focused mostly on yourself and self-awareness and how that applies to your budget and your money to now talking about how do you manage money with your spouse. And we've got five tips that we want to go through um, that have helped us a ton over the past few years. And we hope that these five tips will actually help make the process enjoyable. Yes, that's definitely the goal. The goal with all of these conversations around managing your money is to break down this idea that managing your money or budgeting is restrictive and terrible and, you know, a four-letter word. It shouldn't be. It should be fun and exciting because of how you can use your money to build a truly awesome life. And an awesome marriage. Yes, and an awesome marriage, absolutely. With that being said, let's jump into tip number one, which is to have empathy for your spouse and how they interact with money. And this is probably one of the most important tips on this list. Just like we talked about last week, we talked about our own individual quirks with money. And everybody has individual quirks with how they interact with money. Yeah. So the goal right here is let's figure out what your spouse's quirks are and let's bring a lot of empathy to the table, try to put ourselves in their shoes And imagine what it would be like handling money with that perception or with that emotion or that tendency. And when we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes, we have a lot more empathy for the way that they come at this whole conversation. But it's easy to say, have empathy, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, But it's another thing entirely to actually do that. Absolutely. And I would love to say that after we got back from our honeymoon, we had all this figured out and then we started working together amazingly on our money, but that's just not at all how it happened. No. So, you know, we had probably at least a year and a half, probably more of just not even talking about money, but banging our heads up against the same wall without realizing it in the moment. Yeah, that first year of marriage for us, in particular, income was extremely low. And we were so busy with school, you especially in grad school, that we didn't really have the opportunity to spend a ton of money. We just, but we would have the same arguments over and over again, because even when you don't have tons of opportunities to spend money, there's always opportunities yeah, to spend you, money. Yeah, you find ways. So, you know, things would happen, like, we had no budget as far as, you know, like, spending money. It was just a given. No, we weren't zero. supposed to be spending any yeah. fun money. There was no fun money to be spent. So I would go out 
occasionally, you know, maybe with my mom or something and go to TJ Maxx and I might find a $20 top that I wanted to buy and I'd buy it. And then Nick would be mad. It was just a whole cycle of us not talking about anything, not having any sort of realistic budget because just to say, okay, we need to spend no money. You know, that's, that's not exactly a budget that lends itself to being realistic. No, it's not realistic at all. That's like saying, I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and I'm going to do it by eating salads only ever three times a day. Yeah. That's, that's it's not like, possible. Yes, it's technically not you can do it, but unless you're a robot, you're going to have a really hard time sticking to it. So during that part of our marriage, I think it definitely felt like I wasn't being a team player because I was the one who would slip up and buy something. And Nick was getting frustrated with me and my lack of awareness of our situation. But I was getting frustrated because we weren't communicating about our situation and what we were trying to do. So it was just a recipe for disaster. Totally. Really. And I think that that's that main point, right? That word communication. We weren't talking at all, really, about what mattered to us, about what you wanted to do with our money, what I wanted to do with our money. You know, I was just in this mindset of just don't spend anything until you grad, you know, until I graduate and, and get a full-time job. And you were in this mindset of like, okay, I'm cool with that. But like every now and again, I want to get a little something. And it's, you know, it's not like I didn't spend money. I'm sure I did. I think if we if we go back and look at Quicken at the time, because that's what we were using, no doubt that I'd buy some things during that time period. But, and during that time, we weren't going into debt. It was no. It was a situation where, like we described in the honeymoon story, we had savings that you know we had set aside to get us through that period until you got a full time job. Because when we first got married, you were working part time as an engineering intern. Yep. So. Nick's goal was to get to the point where he could get a full-time job with as much money as possible remaining in savings. Right. Which is a great goal, but... But your goal was more of, as long as we get to the full-time job without going into debt, we're fine. Yeah. Which is legitimately true. The I problem had a much is, more relaxed yes, view on it. We just never really talked about that explicitly. And I think, so if we sort of fast forward maybe a year, year and a half to where we finally started getting on the same page, looking back... I can see now what was going on. This is during the time where I was reading a lot of personal finance books. I was reading a lot of blogs about personal finance. So I was reading about all these people who were saving money. Meanwhile, our bank account balance is going down because, you know, that was what we were doing. Yeah. And when he says people saving a lot of money, you're talking specifically about financial independence, retire early. Yeah. Like people, people saving 50, 60 percent of, of yeah. their income. Right. So I was reading these people and then feeling like, man, we're getting behind. Like, what are we doing? Without properly having the context of like, this is for a short period of time. You're only 21 years old. Like, And my, you know, my perspective was. I just spent $20 on a shirt and I haven't spent anything in three months. What's, why are you so yeah, mad at me? Yeah, what's the big deal? Yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people that I've talked with over the past couple of years, I don't think that we're alone here. There's a lot of marriages where people just don't talk about it. I think so too. And we talk a lot about Chip and Joanna Gaines at different points and, in Chip's book, he talks about how they made this transition from pulling on opposite ends of the rope, like in a game of tug of yep. war, to finally getting on the same end of the rope and pulling together. And that's what I feel like happened with our money when we finally figured out how to work together on it. 
Absolutely. And the thing that finally brought us together around managing our money was having empathy for the other person. And the way that played out sort of on my end was recognizing that you really, really wanted a dog. So at the time we, we had one cat, you uh, brought one cat into the marriage and then we um, got another cat uh, after our yeah, first Nick year. Yeah, Nick was trying really hard to like get off of the dog train. So he was like, here, here's another here's cat. Here's another cat. But it didn't work. No, it didn't work. So eventually. Cats um, are great. We love them all. No, but we do. But they're just different. We like both. And so I realized, hey, you know, we've been talking about getting a dog, kind of beating around the bush about getting a dog for a while. What if we actually sit down and, you know, map this thing out? How much is it going to cost to get a crate? How much is it going to cost monthly to do food? How much is it going to cost for toys and a leash and, you know, all the things that go involved with that and, and medical bills and everything? And if we actually sat down and talked about that and built that into a budget and made a game plan, you were super pumped about budgeting at that point. Yeah. And I also realized that if I was willing to budget and stick to that game plan that we had for our money, then all of a sudden you got a lot more excited about doing these things that that I thought seemed fun the whole time. You know, you could take or leave dogs when we first got married. Yep. But when we got on the same page with money and we actually started working towards it and you started looking at dogs playing Frisbee and all this stuff and we were on track with our money, all of a sudden we're excited about the same thing. Totally. So totally. that really did help bring us together. Yeah, and, and that actually reminds me of a woman who emailed us uh, about a year ago, sort of with this same concern. She was really trying to get her husband on board with her budget and like talking about money, and he was just really not into it. He wasn't wanting to save and wasn't really wanting to do a budget, didn't feel like they needed it. And they just they couldn't get on the same page, and she asked if we had any advice. So we emailed her back and said, you know, kind of talked through this idea of empathy and learning what it is that he really wants and then making that part of the budget. And then like three or four months went by, we didn't hear from her. And finally she emailed us back and she said, okay, so what you said totally like worked. What really matters to her husband or one of the things he loves is going to the movies regularly. And in their town, they have like cheap movies on Tuesdays. So they started budgeting $5 a week to go to a movies, which got them, you know, a few movies a month. And then they started saving a little bit of money for the brand new, uh, I think, Xbox that was coming out. But she talked about as soon as she showed the effort of trying to incorporate what was important to, to him, him. Yep. he was way more open to the whole idea of budgeting. And that's that's what I think is so important. I think that's it right. can be such a such a turnoff for people initially and, and really just working through that together. Well, and this is just sort of marriage advice in general at this point, right? Like you've got to be the one to try and make the first step. And if, if both people are willing to be the person to you know extend an olive branch as this saying is first, then that's when you're going to have a really great marriage. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you're the spouse who is struggling to get their spouse on board with money, then, you know, make the first move of empathy and figure out what it is that they want and try to make a game plan for making that happen. You be the first one to, to take that step. And over time, that will often get reciprocated. Yeah. And I think I think it's important to recognize, too, we're human. So we can all get caught up in feeling like, well, we're always the one who's having to make the compromise or having to whatever. And as Christians in a marriage, you know, that's totally not where our focus should be. We're human, so we focus on it a lot. But I think just recognizing the fact that in a marriage, you should always be willing to step up and and do your best to carry the weight that you can carry. And your spouse should be trying to do the same thing. But sometimes sometimes that's just not how it works out. So sometimes it is you pulling the weight and 
and that's okay. Well, and that that actually kind of leads into one of my pet peeves about this whole conversation often, which is, like you just said, sometimes it can feel like I'm always the one doing this, I'm always the one doing this. That leads to a, a, a competition mindset inside your marriage, which I think, like the Chip and Joanna Gaines example, is the wrong mindset. Yeah, you're kind of keeping score for, well, I'm always doing this, yes. and you never do this. Yeah, and- that's not the point. And so along with that, one of the things you'll hear a lot in personal finance is labels, right? These labels of, um, well, he's the spender, and I'm the saver, mm-hmm. or he's the whatever, and I'm this. And I'm like, that is such a wrong way to think because it's it's totally putting you guys at a competition against each other rather than working together towards your combined goals. Well, and even, you know, take the competition part out of it, it plays into a to a fixed mindset. Yes, totally. So if you've heard of Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, she talks about fixed and growth mindset. And in a fixed mindset, you feel like you're not in control of your situation. You're either good or bad at something. And there's really, there's nothing that you can do to change whether you're good or bad at it. In a growth mindset, you can acknowledge like, ooh, this is an area that's harder for me, but it's in my control to work on it and improve it. So I think labeling each other really plays into a fixed mindset of feeling like, well, I'm just a spender. So so that's what sorry. I do. Yeah. yeah. And and that's not what you want your mindset to be around money or anything. I don't want my mindset to be like that around anything. I always want to feel like it's in my control to improve if I want to focus on that thing and improve it. Yeah, no, I think that's a super important thing. And before we even recorded this, you were talking about, I don't know where you came up with it or where you heard it from, but that whole idea of like, you should never think of your spouse as a loser, like a negative way, because if they're a loser, that means you're married to a loser. Yeah, uh, they actually said that. Nick doesn't have a very good memory. They, no, um, the guy who married us said that in our marriage counseling. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I remember that for some reason. I think, so he asked us a question. This ties into to what we were saying about, um, you know, sometimes you have to pull more weight than the other person and whatever. So he asked us this question. This is why I remember him making the comment that you don't remember. (laughs) He asked me first if, how did he word it? If in your marriage you're having to pull 100% of the weight and Nick is pulling 0%, so, you know, finances, working on your marriage, whatever it is, um, is that okay? Are you okay with that? Something Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, um, I was trying to figure out what he meant by the question. Or in this scenario, is Nick still Nick and something has happened to prevent him from being able to contribute? Or is are we in an alternate yeah, like did universe I have a car accident where and, Nick's a bum know, I can't work. and he's just like sitting on the couch, staring at a television, ignoring me and not helping me work towards anything in life? Yeah. Because, you know, if it's B, like we wouldn't be getting married. No, that's not okay. Like. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, no, yes, I <laughs> don't sure know how to answer here. this question. So I ended up saying like, yeah. That's okay. Like I I would do that until Nick could help or something. And I remember you jumped in in the middle of my answer and you were like, "No, that's ridiculous. No. No. The answer should definitely be no. If they're not helping, <laughs> you, no. That's totally not okay in the marriage." And his point, he kind of came back in and he was like, "Well, the the answer is actually like, yes, that it's okay if it's not always 50-50 and you're pulling more of the weight because that's going to happen." So he didn't phrase it very clearly kind of when he question. asked the question, yeah. and I do think that it was a trick question. Um, but yeah, that's why I remember that because I, I walked out like, and you know, I was kind of nervous about marriage counseling, anyways, like that what you're required to do before yeah, yeah, you get married yeah. or whatever. 
And uh, I walked out analyzing that in my head for like weeks after like, oh, I answered that you all answered wrong. wrong. Yeah. But yeah, that idea of like, if you think of your spouse as a loser, well, that means you're a loser too. And you're on a losing team. Right. So let's not use labels. Let's not put each other in boxes. Let's work together and have empathy for the other person's perspective and work as a team. To I don't get know on if I tied page. all that together. The whole if your spouse is a loser, you're married to a loser. Yep. Came from that same marriage counseling session. That's right. Yeah. So I, I was just sitting here thinking, like, how did that all connect? But that's how. That's how. So. Last thing I want to say about having empathy for your spouse is this is going to take a little bit of time and it's going to require you to just pay a lot of attention to what really matters to them and then find ways to work that into your budget or into your money management system. I mean, even just as recently as a few months ago, I was starting to get a little bit frustrated. Yes, but here's how we've grown. Okay, so here's what was happening. We were staying um, close to my grandma and so I would end up unexpectedly wanting to take her out to lunch. So, Which is like a super nice thing to course, do, obviously. That falls under an unexpected expense. We were out shopping. We <laughs> unexpectedly decided that we wanted to get lunch while we were out. So it's an unexpected expense. I so, just so happened to be out and that's I just right. so happened. So yeah. after a couple of months of that being a recurring item in our unexpected expenses, Nick was starting to get a little irked with me, but instead of going and sulking and just getting mad and not telling me what he's mad about, yeah, yeah. yeah. he was like, hey, it's totally cool. I'm not mad, but we're just having this same thing in our unexpected expenses over and over again, which kind of inherently means that it's not unexpected. So let's sit down and talk about how we can just start budgeting for you to take Mima out to lunch some. Right. Well, like, because we we pay ourselves a set salary every single month. Every month we get the same amount of money to work with in the budget. And so if we decide that we want to have a budget item for taking Mima out to lunch, I'm super happy to do that. And I think that's a big value that we both have. Um, But let's just figure out, like, okay, how much do we want to do? And, like, Where's the money going to come from? Because it's got to come from somewhere. And I just have to recognize that, like, Nick is happy to work through those things and figure out where to fit it in the budget as long as I'll be diligent and enter things into our budget and stick to the money that we've allotted for that thing. So I I check our budget before I take Mima out to lunch. And if there's not money there, then I'll wait and we'll go another time. We'll go the next month when there is more money in the budget. All that to say, it's a process. Nobody's perfect at it. You learn, you go through things, and you adjust as you go and learn to work together better every day, hopefully. Totally. And, and you know, like you said, it does change over time. And I think uh, one of the best things that we can do to learn how to have more empathy for our spouse really is in tip number two, which is where we start creating a culture of dreaming in your life. This ties in with number one super well. So what do I mean when I say a culture of dreaming? Well, this is not a budget meeting. Okay, this is not any sort of formal, let's sit down and talk about money. This is random conversations that you have over dinner, in the car, when you have a moment. This is when you start asking random questions. And if you listen to about the future. our podcast um, introduction, what would you call that episode? Yeah, the introduction? intro. Yeah, the intro. Yeah. It's not a surprise that this came very naturally to Nick because no. he is like famous for asking these types of questions. Right. And he's why... We're going to be having some episodes that are NCQs, Nick's Curious Questions. That's right. Because I'm a curious guy and I have a lot of questions. But this is something that I think everyone should be doing. Here's the deal. 
If you look at the statistics around how many questions we ask per day as a kid, it's somewhere between 100 and 200 questions that you ask every single day from the moment you can start talking until you're like six, seven, eight years old. And if you have young kids, you know this. They're constantly asking questions. Well, by the time we're in our early 20s, that number drops down to below 10, and it only keeps going down over time. So as we get older, we just naturally don't question things as much. We don't question life. We don't question what we want to do. We don't question anything. We just sort of fall into a routine. And, and we kind of fall into doing what we see people yes. around us doing. Yeah. And so the, the idea with this culture of dreaming is that you are driving down the highway or you're in a conversation and you say, hey, if you could live anywhere, we could pick up our jobs tomorrow. You could live in any city. Where would you live? If you could have any type of home, what would you have? If you could drive any car, what would you drive? If you could visit any country, where would you go? And I remember Nick used to kind of drive me crazy with these types of questions because one that you used to ask, you asked me this several times while I was in physical therapy school, was if you could have any job and let's let's assume, let's say um, you're working at, an, at a typical job and you make $70,000 a year. Okay, so let's say that you could work any job that you can think of and you're going to make that same $70,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, the money's taken care of. Yeah. What would you what would you choose? And, you know, that used to kind of annoy me because I was neck deep in physical therapy school and I was so focused in on going down the path that I was set on. And that felt so far fetched. I was like, why are we even wasting time talking about this? But even now, when I look back on it, it kind of highlighted how unsatisfied I was with physical therapy and how I really didn't have that same love and passion for it that I saw in some of my classmates because I can assure you that my answer was nothing to do with physical therapy. I think the answer that I gave you was like, I don't know, I'd probably make shell necklaces or something in the Caribbean. But even in that kind of silly type of conversation, it does highlight that I'm, you know, I'm kind of drawn to these more creative type things, which is something that I'm getting to lean into now. When you're doing these conversations, even if they feel far-fetched, I think there's still a lot of a lot of productive things that can come out of working through some of those scenarios. Oh, yeah. And honestly, sometimes the goal is to be far-fetched. I mean, it, the goal is to almost think so big that it sounds ridiculous. You know, I mean, we used to talk that if we could, if we could literally snap our fingers, right, and have everything we wanted, we would live on the beach, which would be expensive, <laughs> we would own a, you know, some sort of vacation home in the mountains for snowboarding, and we would have plenty of money to be able to fly back and forth. Okay, that that sounds really unrealistic in a lot of ways. And you know what, that may never happen. And that's okay. But you know what that does tell us is that this whole like, you know, living near the beach thing, maybe we should consider looking at coastal cities because that's something we never really considered. Yeah, yeah if you until... think in extremes, then you can kind of bring it back down. Yes, you to, can back down. Okay, what actually fits in my situation? Is there is there something actionable that I can do to get a little bit closer to that ideal thing for me? Well, and that's how I landed on doing Money, mm -hmm. right? Because I had a degree in engineering. I was working as an engineer and I asked that question that I asked you. If I could do anything and make enough money to live uh, the way that we want. You wanted to teach. I wanted to teach. Yep. Well, guess what? Teachers don't they didn't Teachers make, don't make the they same don't amount make as engineers. Them, yeah, they don't make it as much as engineers do. And so, um, you know, that just seemed unrealistic. But then guess what? The internet showed me that there was, you know, this thing called building an online business and doing YouTube videos and podcasting and how you could actually make a living doing that. And, you know, that's how we found ourselves here. But the point with 
this tip of the culture of dreaming is to not actually map any of this out yet. The point is to get in the habit of dreaming about the future with zero expectations. You're not arguing in these conversations. You're not going, well, I actually want a three bedroom house. And you know, like, that's not the point. <laughs> and you're not telling your spouse they're crazy no. for wanting something. No. Why would you ever want that? Yeah. yeah. You know, you're just talking big dreams. That's the point. And if you're not married, if you're single and you're listening to this, do this with your friends. I did that with my friends a lot in college and it probably annoyed them too. Anyways, I'm so big on the importance of asking questions, asking big questions, dreaming with your spouse in a no expectation environment and just talking and all the good things that that leads to that you're going to see in the next few tips. Let's move on to tip number three, which is to have a tool that gives you both insight into the budget. So you both need to be able to look at it and see what's going on in order to make decisions. Nick and I figured this out (laughs) really quick while I was in physical therapy school because I had, I think it was a total of 12 weeks that I was going to be away for internships. And at the time we were using Quicken for budgeting and it lived only on Nick's computer. So I was in Knoxville and Ohio while you were still in Chattanooga. And I would go out and spend money and not even on anything crazy. I would go out and like buy my groceries and Nick would call me and say, why did you just buy all those groceries? Why didn't you wait three more days? Because we only had $50 left in the grocery budget and you just spent 75. Yeah. Well, and and, and when you're living and we were living paycheck to paycheck back then too. So it's like when you're living paycheck to paycheck, cash flow is a real issue. And so if you, if you spend, you know, money in the checking account that needs to be set aside for a bill that's coming up. That can cause a real headache. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just me, hopefully, not trying to be controlling. It was just like I was able to see the whole picture and knew what was going on. And you really... Just, I was clueless. Yeah, well, you you know, to be fair, I knew what I knew what you told me in yeah. our conversations. But you know, to be fair, I was working full time. I know you, you were, were doing full time all your physical therapy stuff. So you stuff. know, we're just calling and trying to catch up with each other yep. and not getting into a lot of deep money conversations. No. So it. It just led to a scenario where I was clueless. Yeah. But living in two places really, really sort of exacerbated that problem. Yep. So, you know, after the fourth or fifth angry phone call from Nick, it wasn't really angry. It was just frustrated. You know, he's frustrated because I'm spending money that's not in the budget. I'm frustrated because I don't have access to the budget. So finally, I said, you've got to stop calling me like this. We need something that I can see because I'm just I'm. I'm doing things blindly yep. on my end. Yep. Um, so that was what led us to using You Need a Budget. YNAB. Yeah. Well, you know, I had just been on Quicken since before we were married. That was just the system that, you know, my dad used. So I was like, sure, yeah, I'll use Quicken. Uh, and so I didn't really ever question it or look at what was out there. So after searching, I was like, okay, well, I'll kind of take the lead on this. So I looked at every single budgeting app out there that, you know, was on the market. I looked at both the app and the computer side of it and uh, ultimately landed on YNAB and felt like that was uh, the best system for us. Uh, And you were cool with that. And so all of a sudden... We both had it on our phones. We could both see what was, you know, in the checking account and in the set moment. aside. Yep. Yes, for groceries. If Hannah went to the grocery store and added something to it, she could update it, and boom, I knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, uh, and it it just led to so much less frustration and arguments over money because we both knew what was going on. And the other thing that it helped with was before we were using YNAB, I would call Nick sometimes. Normally with groceries, I would just buy my groceries. Yeah. But if there was something like fun that I just wanted to get, I would call Nick and say, hey, I found this thing. I really want to get it. Can I get it? And he hated that. He hated having to be like, 
no, you can't get that thing because of X, Y, or Z, or yeah, you can get that thing, whatever. But it made you feel really it made controlling. Me feel like I'm controlling, which yeah. I don't want to be. And at I don't all. care. I don't care whether you're the husband or the wife in the scenario. I don't think anybody enjoys being like the gatekeeper and being no. like, yes, you can do this thing. No, you cannot do this thing. Like you don't want to be the the parent. Well, how many? To I was your gonna spouse. say, how many stereotypes do we know? Whether it's with finances, cleaning up after yourself, it's all parents, right? Yeah. P- spouses parent each other all the time. That's not what we want to do at all. Yeah, and so you would get frustrated with me just from the sheer fact that I was asking permission for it. And then I would get frustrated because you're getting frustrated with me. And all I was trying to do was stick to this budget that you wanted me to stick to. So it led to frustration all around. When we switched over to where we both had access to it, I mean, it it just freed everything up. It gave so much freedom and flexibility to both of us because we both know how much fun spending we have every month and we both decide how to use it individually. And neither one of us is asking permission. If you want to buy a video game system, if it's in your spending money, you don't have to ask my permission. I don't care what you do with your spending money. So it gives that freedom and flexibility on both ends and nobody feels like they're having to be the parent to the other one. That's right. So the bottom line here for this tip is you need to find a system that you both have easy access access to. Mint, Every Dollar, Quicken, QuickBooks, Google Sheets, Tiller, I don't care what it is. Find some sort of system that gives you both access to the money so you both know what's going on all the time. All right, so tip number four is to practically start using the money as a tool to make the dreams that we've been talking about a reality. So now that you've brought a lot of empathy to the table, you've done a lot of dreaming about what the future can look like, and you both have access to where the money's at, what's going on, you can come together and start having some really practical conversations of, hey, you know, we've been dreaming about getting a dog. Or for us, we've been dreaming about moving into an RV full-time and traveling. Mm -hmm. We've been dreaming about all these things. What does it look like to actually make that happen? Let's sit down run the numbers and proactively decide yes. where that money is going to go yep. and how we can use money to move us towards those bigger goals. That's right. A lot of people that I will talk to, you know, will say things like I've always dreamed of, you know, traveling to Europe or I've always dreamed of taking this trip or that cruise or buying this thing or visiting there. And they've never actually sat down and run the numbers. And a lot of the time, if you would do that, you might realize It's actually not that far out of reach. Well, it ties back into that idea of not questioning anything. Yes. yes. So I think we get around a lot of people who assume things are impossible. Like, oh, I could never do that. I could never afford that. And we just kind of automatically fall right into that mindset with them. And it's like you said, when you sit down for most people... If you sit down and look at the money that you have coming in and look at the money that you have going out, you figure out that there are some pretty major adjustments that you can make that make those things realistic. Yeah, well, that's a reason that all these tips really work together, right? You've had all the dreaming, so now you can actually have like a more formal budget conversation and it doesn't feel nearly as weird or serious as it would if you'd never done any of that dreaming stuff. Absolutely. And it feels like you're both on the same team working together instead of one of you being the parent and making the other sit down and talk about money. It You know, it takes that that kind of... Well, it takes it away. Yucky dynamic out of it. Totally. Because we both got the system, right? So you say, hey, we've been talking about doing this dream trip. I was looking online. I was looking at plane tickets and mapping this all out. I think it's going to be like $5,000. You know, and, and I've been noticing if you look at our budget, we've been spending a few hundred dollars a month eating out and about $100 a month on clothing. What do you think about sort of, you know, shifting some of that money into this trip fund? And if we do that, 
we could actually take this trip next year. And that's where that's where money starts to get really fun. And that's where marriage starts to get really fun. When you learn how to work together. I mean, it's like a cheat code for life. Totally. Can I say that all the time? Like life is so much more fun when we're on the same page and working together and helping each other achieve the goals that we have. And sometimes those goals are more important to one of us than they are the other one. But it still makes us happy to help the other person work towards what's important to them. That's right. Sometimes the goals are super aligned and sometimes the goals like you, you really want to go to the beach as much as possible. And I really want to go snowboard. How can we make a game plan to make both of these happen? Yep. All right. So speaking of working towards these goals together, tip number five is to celebrate milestones along the way. And this is really important because some of your goals, are they're, they're going to take a while to hit. Mm-hmm. Right. If you've got a ton of student loan debt, if you get a lot of credit card debt. Or if you're saving for retirement, those goals don't happen in six months. Mm-hmm. Those goals take a while. Yep. So it's important to come up with some milestones that you can celebrate after the fact. Actually, I'd like to read um, a little bit from the Harvard Business Review on this. Teresa uh, Amabili, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> <laughs> and Stephen Kramer sorted through thousands of diary entries that led to this publication in the Harvard Business Review called The Power of Small Wins. So during the research, they discovered that progress is the single most effective motivating force behind human actions. Quote, of all the things that can boost emotions, motivation, and perceptions during a workday, The single most important is making progress towards meaningful work. What's important here is that word progress. It's not actually achieving the goal that you've been setting. It's making meaningful progress towards that goal. So Hannah and I, we've set lots of goals over the past six years of our marriage, right? Buying an Airstream, paying off the Airstream, Mm -hmm. quitting multiple jobs, building this business, traveling to certain cities, buying pets. We've had a lot of different goals that we've set and we celebrate small milestones along the way, even if it's just a little bit of, you know, getting a t-shirt or going out to dinner one night or, Mm -hmm. you know, something small like that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be anything major at all. I mean, it can be as small as, hey, this month we spent $25 less on groceries. And so we were able to put that towards paying off the Airstream. And it might, we might celebrate that by just taking time to sit down together, drink a cup of coffee and watch a movie. It doesn't have to be anything expensive or anything extravagant. You can find small ways to celebrate that are still really meaningful. Absolutely. And, you know, the important thing to recognize is that all of these small wins and celebrations, they build momentum on the way to the larger goal. So pick out something that you like and celebrate that for these small milestones and the small wins along the way. Speaking of something that you like, that it's brings us time to our, for our stuff, stuff we, we like, like segment. segment. Yeah, <laughs> super catchy. Um, so, ironically, the thing that I'm talking about today is the Creative Pep Talk podcast with Andy J. Pizza. And he is, Andy unlike J. us, Pizza. I was about to say, unlike us, he's like great at coming up with catchy little sayings for things I in know. his podcast. So we need to like channel our, we need to channel inner, our inner pizza. Yeah, our inner Dr. Pizza, as he sometimes calls himself. But Andy J. Pizza does a great job. His real name is Andy J. Miller, just in case you were wondering. 
but he does a really great job of taking concepts that are super helpful to a creative person. And specifically, he talks to people who are doing um, some sort of creative business, but he does it in a way that it can be applied to tons of areas in your life. So a, a lot of times I listen to him and come up with things that can just be applied to to our mapped out money business. Yep. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll come to Nick all the time like, hey, Andy J Pizza said this today and blah, 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 blah. So even if you don't consider yourself a creative person or a creative business owner, I think he has a lot of insightful things in his show. So not to mention he's just super entertaining. He's super peppy, <laughs> like he should be on the creative pep talk podcast. He also calls his followers creative pepperonis, which I like. So if you just want something to pep you up, check out Andy J Pizza over at the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. There you go. That so, sounds like a paid advertisement. It's not. We just like him. No, that's just our stuff we like, yep. which always sounds like a paid advertisement. It does. <laughs> All right. So to wrap this show up today, the five tips that we want you guys to walk away with is bring a lot of empathy for your spouse and how they interact with money. Create a culture of dreaming in your life. Make sure and use a tool that can get you both on the same page. Then use money as a tool to make the dreams that you've been dreaming about a reality. And five, celebrate your milestones along the way. All right. Nick's tied a bow on it, so that means we're done. All right. Thanks y'all so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week to the third and final episode of our Marriage and Money mini-series. And uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you then. (laughs) 